Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 23 of Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to be reading Revelation 13, verses 12 and 13. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth, in the sight of men. And I'll stop reading there. This is referring to another beast that came up from the earth, a second beast. The first, um, in, in verse 1, we read, came up out of the sea. Both beasts are um, speaking of Satan. It, it, God is just taking a different vantage point of looking at the rule of Satan during the Great Tribulation period. In, in the case of the first beast that comes up out of the sea, it is in general over the church and the world. And now with this other beast who had two horns like a lamb, but spoke as a dragon because Satan comes trying to look like Christ. And, and, and so he gives the appearance like a lamb, yet it's still Satan. So he speaks like a dragon. He he tells lies. And the Lord is focusing our eyes upon what happens to the church once Satan is loosed. And again in verse 12, he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And this verse is basically restating what was said back in Revelation 13, in verse 3. I'll start reading there. And I saw one of his heads as were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And then in verse 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So we we see that God has covered this area before. But it is so important um, that Satan is taking over the church. It, it's one of the main um, parts of the Great Tribulation. It, it's... It's extremely important. So the Lord is going back over it. He wants us to know again that that this beast is going to cause the beast, Satan, to be worshipped. And, and I think God mentions worship four or five times in this chapter. And the reason for that is um, that that's one of the main characteristics of Satan taking over the church. As Second Thessalonians 2 tells us, the man of sin takes his seat in the temple, showing himself that he is God. And, and all that is worship. 
Satan um, longs for the worship of men created in the image of God, created to serve and worship God only. He longs to receive their worship in order to make himself feel, make himself appear as though he is God. He he desperately wants to be like God. And so um, th- this beast is going to direct the worship to the beast that came up out of the sea, Satan who was loose from the bottomless pit, and whose deadly wound was healed. And we, we went into detail discussing that uh, when we saw the same phrase, the same language back in verse 3, at the cross, when, when Jesus went to the cross, Satan was bound and, in a sense, received a death blow at the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. With that binding, uh, he, he could not prevent God from sending forth the gospel into the nations of the world via the churches and congregations and establishing um, uh, the word of God all across the face of the earth. All right, let's let's go on here to verse 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. This beast does great wonders. The uh, Greek word translated as wonders is Strong's number 4592. It's translated as signs. Um, many times, miracles and wonders. For instance, back in Matthew 24, in Matthew 24, verse 3, the disciples asked Jesus a question. And it says, and, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us. When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The disciples are asking for a sign of Christ coming and the end of the world. And Jesus doesn't tell them, don't ask that. Uh, you, you shouldn't seek after a sign. We do find elsewhere that the Lord does say that... Um, an evil and uh, adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and no sign will be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And by saying that, Christ is is basically saying, you will receive no sign in the physical heaven or, or outwardly, uh, visibly, physically, literally. Do not look for that evil an adulterous generation looks for those kinds of signs, but the sign that that uh, the Bible permits that God allows is the sign of Jonah, and the sign of Jonah can only be understood through reading the Bible. That is, God has hidden in His Word certain indicators, certain evidence, certain signs that. He has plans to unseal at the time of the end, as he said to Daniel in Daniel 12. And when the word is unsealed, once the time of the end is reached, these signs will appear. 
and then you will have the sign of Christ coming and the sign of the end of the world. Now here in um, verse 24, it says in Matthew 24, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And these two words, great signs, are the identical to Greek words, to great wonders that we have in Revelation 13, 13. He doeth great wonders or great signs. And Matthew 24, 24 is putting it in the context of false Christ and false prophets that arise at the time of the end, the time of the Great Tribulation really begins, the end phase of the end of the world. And this matches and and agrees with Revelation 13.13. And it, it helps us to understand, yes, we've been correct in understanding the beast who has two horns like a lamb, that Satan trying to look like Christ. And how does he do that? Through his emissaries, through false apostles, deceitful workers. There'll be false Christ, as Christ is the essence of the gospel, and false prophets. They, the things they speak forth and declare will be uh, erroneous. They, they will not be true. And, and so th- this is just confirmation. We've correctly understood uh, what's going on with the beast in Revelation 13. But if we go down to verse 29 of Matthew 24, I'm going to read verses 29 and 30. And, and keep in mind, the disciples' question to the Lord, What shall be the sign, the Simeon, of thy coming and of the end of the world? And and uh, the conjunction end is indicating they're asking also what will be the sign of the end of the world. So it's a sign for both Christ's coming and the end of the world. And then in verse 29, Jesus is going to answer them very specifically. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now we've uh, discussed this before. If this were literal, and it's not. There's no possibility of it. But if it were literal, if literally, immediately after the tribulation, the literal sun and moon and stars and the things mentioned here, the celestial bodies that that they were darkened or the stars falling, then that would not be a sign of the end. That would be the very end of the world. And there, there would be um, no need for a sign. That, that, that is the end. You cannot have life on earth uh, with without a sun, a moon, and, and stars. And especially as Revelation 6 describes the stars falling to earth. Any star 
that got anywhere near Earth would burn up Earth instantaneously. And so there's just no way, no possibility, it's literal. And then Mark 13:24 tells us in those days after the tribulation, the sun is darkened and so forth. And, and that means we have a period of time. But the sun, moon, and stars, according to Genesis 1, are the time keepers. You can't have time uh, without the time keepers. And, and so, uh, necessarily, the literal sun, moon, and stars still have to be in the heavens above to keep track of days in those days after that tribulation. The sun is darkened. And, and so, God is telling us that the sun going out and the moon not giving its light and the stars falling from heaven are signs. Signs of what? It's the response to the disciples' question. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The sign of the end of the world. Now let's go over to Luke 21, which is the parallel chapter to Matthew 24. And I'll read from verse 5. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come, in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? Again, what is what is that sign? Then look at verse 25 of Luke 21. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Here God doesn't say the sun is darkened or the moon is not giving her light or, or any of that um, additional language that we find in Matthew and in Mark. Here... He says simply, there's signs in the sun, which uh, helps us to realize, well, we were correct. In Matthew 24, verse 30, verse 29 spoke of the putting out of the lights of the heavens. Verse 30 said, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man, the sign of his coming and of the end of the world. Now, Judgment Day occurring on May 21, 2011, and, and God shutting the door of heaven, God putting out the light of the gospel to this earth is a very trying and grievous time. There's no question about that. Yet, yet it's also a huge sign to all that have eyes to see or ears to hear to all who look to the Bible and and remember the sign of the prophet Jonah you have to go to the Bible to see it and and this is a sign that God permits that God allows it's fine there's nothing wicked about looking to the Bible to see a sign it's only evil if you want to see a sign up in the sky you want God to do some outward miracle uh, to confirm something to you. No, an evil and adulterous generation seeks that kind of sign. 
But if you're looking in the Bible, and, and it is through the Bible, through the Word of God, that we understand that immediately after the tribulation that the sun, not the literal sun, but the sun that represents the light of God, went out. And the moon, not the literal moon, but the moon that represents the light that comes forth and emanates from the Word of God, the law, the Bible, went out. And the moon's not giving her light any longer. And the stars fall from heaven. The, The light of the gospel that the believers carried into the world is no longer there. We, we can't bring any light if, if God isn't sending forth any light. And so we understand these things from the Bible and God defines the sun, the moon, the stars from the Bible and we are able to pinpoint it to the date after the great tribulation, immediately after as the great tribulation concluded after that exact 23 years, that full 8,400 days, on May 21, 2011, then the gospel light went out, and God has given us, kindly and graciously given us, a sign that ought not to be missed. Look up into the heavens, in a sense he's saying, and what do you see? Darkness, spiritually, that's all. The, the Bible has been rolled up like a scroll, according to Revelation 6. And the light is out all over the earth. This thick darkness that might be felt that spiritually. This, this terrible darkness that has come upon the world in which there is no salvation. And God is not saving anyone and hasn't saved anyone since that day. And and nor will save anyone ever again because he's completed his salvation. But this darkness that has engulfed the whole earth that that we find ourselves um, sitting in as, as we're still here on the earth living in the day of judgment, the darkness itself is an indicator. It's, it's a sign that Jesus is answering the disciples' question, the sign of his coming, end of the end of the world. Which means we've, we have progressed through the Great Tribulation into Judgment Day, and shortly Judgment Day will be completed. And, of course, 10,000 days is a very... Uh, likely day for Judgment Day to be completed, since 10,000, the number itself, points to completeness. Very shortly, God will do what he has said he would do with the world, and, and he will destroy the earth. And the spiritual condition of the world, the, the spiritual condition, the Bible only the Bible reveals. You won't find this information in the church. You won't find it definitely in the world. But only the Bible reveals this pitch black state, this, this terrible spiritual condition that the world is in now. It is a condition of hell as God 
has made the world like the grave for all the wicked as he's in shutting the door guaranteed their eternal death. Well, this, this darkness is in a way a wonderful, um, declaration from God himself to his people that, that he is coming, that the world will shortly end. Uh, you know, uh, recently I heard that song and it was uplifting. It's normally uplifting when I hear it and I can't remember too much of it, but I remember this, this one, uh, lyric. It's always darkest before the dawn. It, it's always darkest before the dawn. And we have entered into a time of darkness that, that has never been in the history of the world. The, the world is in, uh, terrible spiritual darkness. And, and just like Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and the stone was placed over a den, we can be sure it was very dark in there. And he had to spend the evening. He had to spend that night in that dark condition with lions that, that, um, were probably roaring, certainly, uh, ravenous and hungry beasts. And, and those lions, even though God shut their mouth as far as devouring Daniel, they could have, uh, their aggressive tendencies, who they were, uh, wasn't changed and they could have been rubbing past his legs and, and it, it was an unpleasant night. We can be sure of that for Daniel, though he trusted in his God and it was certainly darkest, but then the dawn came and the king, King Darius uh, of the Medes and the Persians, who's a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ comes to the den of lions and has them remove the stone and can you imagine the light that rushed in and and shined in that darkness and Daniel was lifted up out of the den and there was great celebration by the king and and the great glory given to God Thanks for joining us for E-Bible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.